Well, th- hey, thanks for that, uh, that slam dunk that you threw down on me there a, a month or so ago. I mean, does anybody, like, look at a sunset, like, on a beautiful day? What is that cat doing? Uh, Jim is doing that swooshy thing again. I already gave him a little bit of shit. Am I allowed to say shit? I gave him a little bit of shit. And welcome to episode 40 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. My name is Adam McKinnon, your host, joined as often by my co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim. Hey, good evening, Adam. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, our uh, podcast is over the hill now. So, you know, that's I'm, I'm sure there's a sitcom in that somehow. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely all downhill from here. Yeah, right. <laughs> there's, there's, so. We've peaked already, guys. Yeah, um, well, but so not, that was not a great yet. Show. We'll, we'll catch up with you on the next episode. Right. Not, not yet, though. Evening. Not yet, because Brian Wright's oh. here. Brian Wright's oh. here, and he's going to talk about the Mets. Brian, how are you, sir? Uh, Adam and Jim, doing well. Uh, hopefully, this podcast will go weather go better than the uh, fate of the Mets so far this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, if for those who don't remember, Brian has come on the show before, and he is the author of uh, Mets and Tens and uh, New York Mets All Time All Stars, uh, fellow pandemic book clubber. And uh, you know, uh, when Jim and I were talking about what shows to do, it, it just popped into my head. Um, and it, it was something that had to do with the, um, it was a, a specific Mets incident, uh, that we'll get to later, uh, that made me, it really made me think about how we view the Mets objectively. And I wanted to bring you on to kind of help maybe, you know, clear the line, so to speak of, uh, things that we, uh, we maybe unfairly cast on them. And we'll get to that after the break, but I did want to get your take early on as, you know, first of all, how are you? And second of all, um, tell me about how, how you're feeling about this season. I know, and mm-hmm. I know it's not, it's not all been bad, but it's been, it's been a weird one. Yeah. I, I'm personally, I'm doing great, uh, staying healthy and, and hope that's everyone good. is as well. Um, yeah, that's, that's most important. I, uh, am glad that baseball is back baseball in general. Um, cause it gives us something to talk about, even if it's something that's, that's, uh, not so great, whether it's, you know, people testing positive and the thought of maybe, you know, canceling the season, uh, or how in, in particular, how the Mets are doing. Um, uh, and the Mets are just, I don't know. They're just, they're, they're confounding because I don't know, Friday, Friday night or Friday during the day. And then night was like, a felt very typical. The Mets have somehow come con- in a short period of time decided to, excited to just have their entire year's worth of drama thrown into what a month a month or so <laughs> it's it's incredible and i mean they did it like i mean and by the way they did it like in about a week also uh with all the stuff that happened i mean i almost can't even remember what happened the first week i have to almost <laughs> i had to think really hard about it but friday was very typical um of, of the met season because they had come off of two straight wins and you think okay great jacob DeGrom is going on friday uh, maybe we can get some momentum, you know, look, only a few games out of the division. It's early. Right. Uh, and then, and then you, and then you see that Jacob DeGrom is scratched and you wonder, you start to immediately go, why? Oh right. gosh. Oh gosh. <laughs> and a stiff neck is not the worst thing ever. It's not an arm injury. Right. That's, that's what you fear. It's not inflammation. Then, <laughs> yeah. That's what I worried about. I mean, I, the stiff necks are great and I don't know if he's going to make his next start. Uh, but it's better than the worst. Uh, then he has the incident where he's at the in the Zoom call and the the, his, the the background falls down. It's fully fanatic, looking like he's about to strangle him. That um, oh, that was that. And was... then you come to the game where they start a Walter Lockett, uh, who is you know a nondescript pitcher for the most part, um, who has pitched before and not great with the major league club. And you go, okay, well this is an automatic loss. And uh, he pitches fairly well. Um, they keep him in too long and he gives up the lead because um, the Phillies started to make, you know, these, these uh, mind-numbing errors. Bryce Harper and uh, the center fielder, Roman Quinn, misplay two different fly balls. Um, so you're thinking, like, they're just handing this game to the Mets. And 
They fall behind. J.G. Real Muto hits a three-run homer. Uh, they fall behind. They're down to the last out. They get a hit from Robinson Cano back off the disabled list. You're going, oh, great, they tied the game. Then Seth Lugo comes in, uh, gets allows two runners to get on. Then Bryce Harper gets a single, and you're going, oh, well, they're, they lost. Right. Well, then Michael Conforto throws home to the runner coming home, and you see that it's, like, on target, and the runner is not a ways <laughs> away from home plate. And you're going, oh, my God, he's out. Then a second later, oh, he's safe. Because <laughs> Wilson Ramos couldn't get the tag down. It was just a roller coaster in about a roller coaster of emotions in about I don't know, I don't know seven hours. Um, so, long story short, the season's been very confounding. I mean, uh, the pitching staff has just been uh, decimated. Whether it's been injuries like to Degrom and Waka right. and um, you know, Noah Syndergaard going way back to uh, before the season began, uh, to you know Marcus Stroman opting out, which again he has every right to. Um, and I find it funny that people now are like, oh, he opted out. What a what a bum. I don't want to see him on this team anymore. And my reaction is, who is better? Right. Because <laughs> right. he's a free agent after this year. And look yeah. at the players that are potentially going to be free agent pitchers. There's not many that are better. Right. Now, whether he wants to sign with the Mets is another story. But um, And it's also, this is the bed that, <laughs> that, that the team made. Like, you know, we don't have as many options. Um, but I was, I digress. Uh, you know, all the, the, the injuries to our pitching staff, the starting rotation in particular, um, you know, the struggles of Pete Alonzo in his sophomore year. Uh, but then you contrast that with some, you know, emerging players, I think, you know, uh, Andres Jimenez has been great, uh, at shortstop mm-hmm. and could be the starting shortstop. Uh, Luis Guillorme, who I only considered to be a defensive replacement, is hitting like 430 or something like that. Uh, and then David <laughs> Peterson, who's come into the rotation. And finally, the Mets have decided to bring up some of their minor league pitchers. And it's worked out because he's, he's looked pretty good his first few starts. Uh, and then uh, the fact that uh, Yuan Cespedes opts out in that, that bizarre scenario, which... We'll get to no, that. <laughs> uh, no, no, no one was coded in glory after that. Yeah. Um, Dominic Smith takes his spot and he looks like the best hitter on the team. Talk about uh, a post really hype guy. Like, man, I, I, I remember Dom Smith hype from forever yeah. ago. Yeah. He was a first round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was overweight, let's face it, and lost the weight, got into great shape. Uh, really never had, had never really found his spot. He was, they put him in left field where he just, it was just a struggle for him, and naturally so. I mean, you don't expect him to just convert into a third baseman because he was drafted as a first baseman. Um, and he just didn't get the chance to play every day. And and because of that, he, he wasn't able to produce like he could. Uh, and then last year, he you know he had you know chances to perform, and he, and he did well, but then he got hurt. And then he hits a home run the last, last day of the season, <laughs> a walk-off home run. Um, and you think like, okay, well, if he just gets his, his chance, he can really do well. And here we're thinking, oh, you want to assess this is, is one of the keys to the lineup. And he, then he bolts. And now Dominic Smith has his chance. And, and, and look at him now. I think he's, he's on his way to having a great season. So um, to put it, you know, in, in one sentence, I, 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 it's just a big shrug emoji. The entire Mets season is a big shrug emoji. I don't, it makes my head hurt. Do you think, um, you know, I, I, not to get too topical, but I wonder, are you, uh, what what is your opinion of Brody Van Wagenen to to this point? You know, I, I mean, he's definitely had he's definitely had some interesting. You know, there have been some interesting moves like right away, and in the new culture of GMs, the sort of, for lack of a better term, the sort of Ivy League ruthless, you know, new age of GMs. He kind of sticks out a little bit in that regard, having been an agent. And, um, you know, how, how are you feeling about him so far? Do you, do you think the fork in the road with him is coming with this team? Because at some point, you know, there was, there was, you know, I remember hearing distinct talks like, all right, 2020, you know, this is pre COVID pre, you know, the world collapsing on itself. Um, you know, Hey, you know, ran wagon. And if he doesn't do anything, he might have to rebuild. Like there was the, the seat was, was past room temperature at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is an experiment that's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's drafted now. I don't know if this is him making these draft choices. I think I have to, I should preface this by saying 
everything that Brody Van Wagenen does, it look, it all starts at the top. It starts with ownership. Right. And ownership <laughs> yeah. dictates the GM's most, most, if not all, of the general manager's moves. Um, I don't like the fact, I, actually, I loathe the fact that Brody Van Wagenen hitches his wagons to his former clients, like with, with uh, CAA. Robinson Cano is a former client. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that, 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 that did not have a huge influence on the trade, which involved um, Edwin Diaz coming from Seattle. Um, that the fact they took on Robinson Cano's enormous contract. I don't care if he's having a good year this year. Uh, last year, I mean, Edwin Diaz cost them at the playoffs, but let's, let's just yeah. say it. <laughs> I don't disagree you don't with you. Ha- you don't make the trade. The Mets make the playoffs. Mm. Um, and also, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize them for the Stroman trade because regardless of who they, you know, they gave up two p- good pitching prospects. It, he, Stro- Stroman was okay for the 11 starts he made at the end of 2019, but you can't predict of what you could not predict what was going to happen this year. I agree. So I'm with that, not yeah. ready to. If he doesn't come back, then it looks like a bad trade. But I'm not ready to say that. You know, getting JD Davis looks to be a good move, um, but he's made other trades. Um, you know, I think he's he's gotten like Jake Marisnik, um for any any trades like you know a pitching prospect he gets billy hamilton who he could have gotten last uh i don't know if it was last off season or this coming off season he could have got him for nothing trades of pitching prospect <laughs> um and now we have pitching problems <laughs> we don't have a, we have a pitcher uh and and then the signing of jed lowry like the the, the mysterious leg injury of jed lowry right. who i think had one opinion for like a year they you they they put him out there for like eight at bats at the end of the year. I don't know why, and then he has the same leg injury. I, it's the most mysterious thing I've ever seen, and I just I can't imagine they didn't know this before. I, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm speculating, but it right. seems very weird that that this hasn't been discovered sooner. I mean, whether it was before they before they got him or, or, or after they got him. Um, and to think so, that it got okay. crazier with Jed Lowry after getting Robinson Cano a second baseman and Jed Lowry a second baseman in the same offseason. And yeah. then it got worse. It got, it got worse, yeah. So, I mean, overall, I just think his – and I remember the rumor, uh, which I think is true last year, that he was basically calling the shots from, like, his living room to Mickey Calloway, the then manager. Um I wouldn't be shocked if he's he has a heavy. I mean, I I I know I pretty much know he has a heavy influence on on what Luis Rojas does. So, and I know that that's what happens in these in this day of of manager and general manager relations. Um, and then you go to the the whole Cespedes incident. Um, I there are two distinct camps that I have found through social media when Cespedes opted out. Uh, one is Cespedes. That, that, that the story that they laid out, that the Mets laid out, is true. And Cespedes just said, I'm not telling you and I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And, oh, what a bum he just went because he wasn't doing well. Some of that might be true um, because he obviously said it was for COVID reasons. Then you have another camp that says, well, the Mets have never been – they've always had this – they've always been coded in deceit. They always try to spin these stories right. to, to favor them. So why are we to believe them now? And I would say I'm 60-40 in the deceit category. I <laughs> tend to believe that they are making some of this up. I think the next day, Brandon Nimmo, and we all know, you know, very religious, I don't tell a lie, Brandon Nimmo, right. was asked about it. And he said that he heard from some teammates that Cespedes said he was opting out bef- well before the game. <laughs> and then he was like, well, I also heard the Mets, the, the management tell the, their side of the story, too. And I don't oh, know what God. to believe. Yeah. When the players have no idea what to believe, that's that, that's that's a real systemic problem there. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Cespedes thing intrigues me, not not from a, you know, because because Johannes Cespedes may just be one of the most misunderstood players in in recent memory, in my opinion. Just uh, such a talented player, such a good player, and 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 put out real results. And it's just, it's almost too easy to just cast that really uncomfortable narrative upon him. But what I, what I find most intriguing is that, you know, 
it's unfortunate, like you, like you said, the sort of systemic distrust that this, that the organization has, and you like you, like you hinted at the very beginning, it starts with ownership and ownership is the hot topic right now. Um, in a, in a, in just a, just a, just a minute or so, a couple, a couple of minutes, can you, can you sort of give me your thoughts on, you know, what the the rumors around ownership and how you think the a change in ownership? What do you think is the fir, what the most noticeable change that non Mets fans will see from from something like that? Well, I think the the most notable change, and look, any you know, I, I and it's speculation for sure. What, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all the speculation. I mean, I mean, we all any reasonable Mets fan wants Steve Cohen just based on his net worth <laughs> and that he's a fan of the team. Um, he's pretty much like all of us fans would be doing what would what uh, we'd be doing if we had you know fourteen billion dollars or whatever his net worth is. Right. Because um, if I had that much money, I'd be buying the Mets too. <laughs> um, you know, I I think the most notable change is that you won't see the Mets acting like a small market team, mm-hmm. and it goes to something that was discussed um today we're not discussed today but you saw evidence of it today when zach wheeler faced the mets zach wheeler now with the phillies uh and pitched a very good game i found it very ironic because when zach wheeler left the mets never offered him any money the mets never, didn't give him an offer zach wheeler wanted to come back to the Mets, right and wagon and said no no we're not offering and as he left basically threw a, a nice uh shot at his at his bow saying like, well, you know, he got hurt a lot and, you know, he only really played with us for two and a half years or something like that. So I guess he, it's not good you know, form, Brody. Just, it's not good form. It's very ironic <laughs> that he talks about how injured Zach Wheeler was and Zach Wheeler is still pitching and the Mets don't have any pitchers. <laughs> it's amazing so, how, it's he, amazing he how that it. works. <laughs> it's amazing how like Brody says stuff and just has to eat his words, you know, come, come get us. And Brody said at the beginning of 2019 and we'll be, they were gotten. Um, and he also said when they got Port Rick Porcello and uh, Michael Walker, that they were the deepest rotation in baseball. And you know, that didn't age well. Yeah. So he wasn't wrong in the fact that Wheeler got hurt. Um, you're, you're always going to run the risk of pitching injuries these right. days. This, this year, especially. Uh, we've seen so many people go down with injuries. You're always going to run that risk. And you're always going to kind of overpay for, for someone. I mean, for God's sake, Garrett Cole, <laughs> I don't care how great he is, you're going to pay more than he really is worth. Yes. The fact that you didn't, if you had lost out in a bidding war to the Phillies, fine. The fact that you just didn't even make an attempt and, and, and said, okay, we're going to replace Zach Wheeler in effect with two other pitchers, that doesn't always equate to the same kind of production. It was a disproportionate um, response to to a, to yeah. a non problem. So yeah, so this is what I think. Yeah, what I think non fans will see is like this whole like acting like a small market team. Like, oh, we can't afford him. <laughs> you have your own TV station <laughs> and you're in New York. <laughs> I don't get this. So right. that to me is what I have to imagine you'd see. Um, it's just this this operating on a shoestring budget nonsense. And making these, uh, I mean, these trades that just, you're, you're just, and the, the lack of cultivating your prospects. I, you know, I mean, today we heard, it was, it was a USA Today report, um, that A-Rod and J-Lo are the front runners, which I don't know. I don't hold any truth to that. Um, I still think it's, it's very much up for grabs. But I think regardless of who it is, you're either going to see, you're going to see a change in the fact that a fans, I I saw fans saying, "Oh, well, if A Rod comes in, it's worse than the Wolpons." I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> nothing uh, really could be worse than the Wolpons. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, mean, I, least, I contest that statement. <laughs> for all you want to say about A Rod and the fact that he cheated and he did and he got caught twice, um, I mean, A Rod is a intelligent baseball person, right. um, and I have to imagine he has done well financially um, since then. I don't know what he. Has in you know what him? I thought I saw him on CNBC once, or maybe he's doing something right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have to imagine he'll have some kind of understanding of cultivating prospects and not making uh, wild trades, but making you know good pitches to free agency. And maybe free agents will want to come uh, to play for a team that's owned by a Rod. I don't know. Um, I, I just I, I you know I think 
what you will see is is uh, a team that acts like a New York team that now doesn't necessarily try to be the Yankees because I think the Mets tried to do that, you know, in like the early 2000s and that failed. But I think act more like a big market club. In a division that really calls for one, so well we're yeah. gonna we're gonna we're gonna t- on that note we're gonna take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to we're gonna play uh, that so Mets or as overblown as it gets and we'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, so it is. Uh, we've got Brian right here, and we're going to play no one's favorite game show. Uh, that's so Mets are overblown as it gets. So it's my uh, new favorite game. Show. <laughs> is this better now, Jim? Is this better than Mike Trout or Lane Adams? Mm, this is probably going to be better than Mike Trout or Lane Adams. I mean, well, that one was pretty crazy because. Uh, we asked Lane Adams questions and he still got like three wrong out of like eight. So this is a little more subjective, I think. Yeah, I think so too. This is by by far my, my favorite new, uh, game show, right? It's, it's like price is right. Might be two jeopardy and then like jeopardy reruns. (laughs) Jeopardy reruns. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Whoever they get to replace jeopardy distant sixth. Uh, so the biggest thing is, so the, for the, for the listeners, the idea of this is to, um, you know, basically Brian is going, I'm going to give Brian a few recent incidents in Mets history, recent Mets history. And we're going to decide as to whether or not, or Brian's going to, you know, say whether these are situations that are that's so Mets, which means, yeah, this is, yeah, this, this is not, this is just the Mets being living up to that sort of like the, the unfortunate stereotype that follows the organization. Or is this overblown as it gets? Where, you know, this is a completely, this is unfair to cast on the organization and we're collectively just really lazily doing it. And so um, I'm hoping that, you know, um, I don't know anybody that knows as much about the Mets as you, Brian. So I'm hoping you can bring some light and clarity to us and our listeners here. Uh, because I'll, the answer for all of these, and I don't even know what the questions are, but the answer to all of these is so Mets already for me. <laughs> See, that's the th- and that's what we're hoping to Fancy dispel. His mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah con- convince me, con- convince me, I'm wrong. Okay, so here we go. Uh, number one, Brian. Mm-hmm. The the Mets ruined Johan Santana's career in the name of their first franchise no hitter. Is that so Over- Mets, or is that as overblown as it gets? It's as overblown as it gets. Um, so Johan Santana came back to pitch. He had uh, he had gone undergone surgery uh, in his pitching shoulder in 2010. Came back in 2012, and June 1st, 2012, um, pitches the first no hitter in Mets history. Um, it took him, I think, 134 pitches, if I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. And Terry Collins, the manager, basically grappled late in the game with, oh my gosh, should I take him out? Because he had, of course, that shoulder injury. And, um, you know, and I know even Collins today has called that, you know, the dilemma like, you know, one of the worst, most emotional nights of his career. Mm. Um, And it was a fantastic moment. I mean, I remember where I was. I was like at a bar. I had lost my phone and (laughs) like just happened to see the game on and going, why is this game on? And then felt like, oh my God, he's pitching a no-hitter. So it was a great memory. Um, I think it's it's overblown to say that no hitter was what destroyed his career because it he actually pitched pretty well after that. And also, you can't you know say it could have happened at any time. And mm-hmm. another thing, you know, he he also it you know sentimentality had to play a part. He pitched for you know he not only did he pitch two two. Uh, uh, had two Cy Young seasons with the Twins. He had really given a lot to to, to pitch with the Mets, and he would have had uh, a really a lot better career had he not gotten hurt. Uh, it wasn't like he was a he was a bust or anything. Two thousand eight, he had a really good year, uh, but he just got hurt so many times after that. Uh, and also, let's look at the other side of this. What if the Mets pulled him 
in that in like the seventh inning and didn't get the no hitter. And people would have said, Oh my God, look at that. The Mets prevented their first no hitter because they wanted to to, to prevent, they wanted to, uh, you know, nurture Yohan Santana. That's so Mets. That's that's so, that's a valid point. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, this injury could happen anytime. It, 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 he was already obviously just you know he was it. Any pitcher's arm is fragile to begin with. Let's face it. Right. But um, it it you know it wasn't like right after that game he went on the disabled list. Um, and it was you know I think a few starts after that. So to me, that's a part. That's a thing where it's 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 overblown. Okay. Um, so that is, uh, that's a good point. I would have never thought about the other side of that if they pulled him, you know, and I think, and I think if you run back yourself to 2012 and think about the, where baseball was at, I mean, there was a lot of questions at that point on, you know, do you pull a starter if they've got a no hitter going? And I mean, nowadays that question just kind of goes away, right? It's like, well, how many pitches has he got? Has he got anything left in the tank? You know, pull him out after five innings. Who cares if he's throwing a no hitter? But right. in 2012, it's I think it was more common that a manager would be less likely to pull a a pitcher out still pretty heavily in in favor of keeping a pitcher in. So, yeah, I, I guess I agree. Still feel <laughs> a little so mets, but but <laughs> I I I got to I got to side with Brian on this one. I think I think I think there was a lose lose. That was a to, in order to get that win. As a franchise, it was a lose lose situation, and and not even really. I think I think pulling him would have been worse. So I, I tend to agree with you, Brian. I agree. Um, okay, so 2017, Noah Syndergaard refuses to get an MRI, exits after 38 pitches. His next start only pitches 30 innings that year. Turns out he has bicep tendon, tore something in his bicep. I don't remember the exact nature of the injury. Shows how much prep I do. Um, so what, uh, you know, the, and, and that season, if I remember correctly, was kind of a scandalous year for injuries and in, in, in that organization. So, so the 20, oh, we'll call it the 2017 injury bug with like Cindergard as the pin on that. Mm-hmm. Is that so Mets or is that, is that overblown as it gets? To me, this is that so Mets. Um, I was at the game that he got hurt in Washington, oh. uh, and the, the final score was something twenty-four to five. And I went with a couple friends who are Nats fans, and they were my ride. Oh, so I, had to, I literally had to just stand in the you know in the near the concession area as the you know I don't know who was pitching. It was a it was a position player, maybe like Kevin Ploiecki or something, as he was like giving up the you know another hit, another home run, or something like that. So. Um, but the season uh, as a whole, I, you know, obviously I, I have only the perspective of what goes on in Mets world, mm-hmm. um, mostly. But I see what goes on with other teams. I have never understood the way the Mets deal with injuries. Um, it, it's not, it's unlike any other team as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And this incident, if I'm trying to remember, I mean, it was just, as you said, he... Syndergaard refused to get an MRI, and then, of course, then there's the tear. Now, I don't know if he was hurt already, but someone's got to tell him. He's right. got to do this. You know, the Mets, it's, he's their, you know, property, and for lack of a better term. He's their, you know, uh, um, commodity. Um, and a lot of, there was, you know, a lot of promise with him. So, you almost had to, I, I don't care if you had to, like, you know, put him in a straitjacket and then take him to the MRI place and do it. <laughs> Um, but, and it's the joke, it's the running joke because it's true. Like anyone who, um, gets, you know, a hamstring injury, you know, the next, you know, two days later, they're out with a concussion and like nothing happens. Like what <laughs> I just, it's so bizarre. <laughs> and you, oh, and the other running joke is like, oh, he's day to day. And then all of a sudden he's out for the year. It's, right. Like, and sometimes that happens. <laughs> I remember Carlos Beltran. In 2000, I we're going to get to him later. Uh, in 2009, I think it was, he had like a hamstring injury or like a you know leg injury. And they kept saying like, okay, he's out for a week. And it was like, okay, maybe out for like a couple more weeks. Then he's like, oh, he's out for the year. <laughs> Happened. <laughs> and 2009 was another bizarre injury-filled season. But to me, like the way that Mets 
not only their their the, the fragility of the, that team. I mean, you may want to call it bad luck, and obviously some of it has to do with bad luck. Sure, but some of it has to do with I don't know their training methods. I mean, I mean, literally, you you'd like tense up watching a game, like who's going to get hurt today? Right, and it was every day someone was like coming up lame, or someone was like you know, you know, there was some, either an injury scare or an actual injury. So. To me, is there something weird about how the Mets deal with this, these injuries? It's been a little bit better lately. I mean, Jed Lowry being the exception. But 2017 was just out of control, and I just have to imagine the Mets had something to do with that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think at some point you the the uh, the bad luck only takes you so far. Like, the bad luck takes mm-hmm. you through, like, well, you know, so many – Tommy John, so many injuries where it's just like at some point you have to look around and just say, you know, maybe it, maybe it's us, yeah. you know, like, like Jim, do you, do you have any recollection of that, of that, like, you know, of yeah. any organization being snake bitten that hard? I mean, even like the Yankees had what they had last year, but uh, you know, where they just seemed like the bug after the bug, but good grief. Yeah. It really wasn't that it was, they were getting, they weren't really throwing people on the injured list because of major, major injuries. It was more, well, we've got enough depth. We'll just put them on the IL and we'll just put somebody else in that spot. Right. Not like, yeah, the 2017 Mets where what Harvey came down with injury that year also. Right. Um, was that yeah, the year he had thoracic outlet? I think so. Isn't it? He only pitched like 15 um, games that year, if I remember correctly. I thought it was maybe 2016, but you might be right. It might all be kind so, of blunt. Yeah. Call it kind of blunt. <laughs> yeah, right. That's why it's so Mets, right? Right. So. <laughs> I, I I tend to agree with you. I agree with you, Brian. It's like with all the organizations, like you know, you you have you have organizations that have absolutely fuddled injuries. Don't get me wrong. You mm-hmm. know, like absolutely. But it seemed to me that year, and I and I, it's one of those things that unless you go back and research it, it's you don't, you look at the list and you think to yourself like, holy cow, like this really was a a problem. And, 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 you know, your training staff, whether it's training staff, whether like, you know, we alluded to earlier in the show, whether it's ownership or management, at some point, like uh, I think everybody was raising their hand, like there, there's something more to this in this particular Mm -hmm. case. Um, So, so I tend to, I, I think the, I think that's probably a fair assessment Although injuries happen to everybody, I think it seemed especially rampant during that particular season. Yeah, only one pitcher got over 120 innings pitched that season for the Mets. Wow, who was that? Was that, that was Degrom? Degrom. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's next on. He was list. the only. I think he was the only guy to like the only like main player on the roster to like not be out for a significant amount of time. I think at the end of the year he like had. To shut it down, but then yeah, no, neither here was, or there. Neither here nor there. <laughs> All right. So um, number three, um, we ha- we have feelings on this, but but in 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 a good way. Um, the Bobby Bonilla contract <laughs> is as overblown as it gets, <laughs> and I have to underline that that ten times. Uh, I am so tired of Bobby Bonilla Day. I have. Um, I have friends who are not really baseball fans on July 1st. They'll text me like happy Bobby Bonilla day. (laughs) And I have friends who have never watched baseball on July 1st, go to me and go, Bobby Bonilla day thing. What's what's this thing? And you have to just keep explaining it to people who don't care with this player that they're still paying or, (laughs) and I just get so tired of it. So two points to be made and one that, that you certainly know, Adam. Yes. Um, first of all, Bobby Bonilla, the, the, the deferred payment, you know, they're paying him until, what, 2031. Um, there's a, a guy, uh, uh, Michael Mayer, who writes for Metsmerized, as I do, who puts this uh, thread, Twitter thread, out every year. It's and it's great because it, it, it lays out all of the deferred contracts or not all, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the deferred contracts and some are just crazy. Now, as much as we want to make fun of the Mets for, for doing, for doing this. And it's, you know, it's funny because it's by the and he really turned out to be a bust, but it's actually financially savvy because you're not lumping all of your money 
in putting it all to one particular year. Now, I hate to say, again, why are the Mets trying to save money and all that? But, but in any regard, going back to like all these different teams that do it, I mean, the Orioles will be paying Chris Davis, who oh. strikes out like four times a game. He struck out but, twice no, we, since this show started, and they're not even playing. He did. <laughs> he did. I mean, they're paying him until like 2000. I mean, I'm just guessing to like 2036 or something like that. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, you know, and then as I was went on a tangent, but Adam, you know this one. Uh, the Braves have Lay it on me. Bruce, Bruce Suter, <laughs> Hall of Fame pitcher. Now, when he came to the Braves, he was at the end of his career. The Braves have been paying Bruce Suter, who, by the way, looks like Gandalf. Yes. And I don't know much about Lord of the Rings, but I know who Gandalf is. Been paying him one point two million dollars each July first since nineteen eighty five, and will do so through next year when they give him a final payment of nine point one million dollars. Uh, now the Braves can afford it. That's more that they're paying Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna yeah. Jr. like combined. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Now the Braves can afford the money. It's not like saying, "Oh my God, they're cash strapped because of this." No, it's just trying to say that like a lot of teams do what the Mets do. do. Right. And on top of that, and maybe this is a kind of a, I'm, you know, making a two, two degrees of Biobania, uh, or too many degrees of Biobania to, to create this scenario. But Biobania, the, the, when they, uh, let him go and they gave him this deferred payment, it freed up enough money to make a trade, uh, in the 1999 off, 1999 offseason to get Mike Hampton from the Astros. Mike Hampton had a good season in 2000, had a better postseason, actually won the 2000 NLCS MVP. Well, after one year, he decides to leave the Mets and go to the Colorado Rockies. He claims it was for the school system for his kids. Yeah, um, sure it was, Mike. <laughs> him leaving to go to the Rockies um, gave the Mets the, like, the compensation with like a draft pick. With like a you know end of the first round draft pick compensation right. pick mm-hmm. that draft pick turned out to be David Wright. Oh, so, wow! Yeah, there, yeah. That uh, you know, it, it, I think that's a fair chain to make though because, you know, it, it, and I'm gonna be honest with you, it was a, I it was one of those things that I always kind of knew we were probably overblowing the Bobby Bonilla thing, but until I saw a post from you on Facebook this past Bobby Bonilla day. <laughs> I did not put the numbers together because I never bothered to research it. I always just thought like, oh, you know, July 1st, Bobby Bonilla is the terrible one and the Mets are terrible. So plus and plus and that's that. Um, I had never actually done the legwork to figure out that we are paying Mithrandir, which I know a lot about Lord of the Rings, and that's the elvish word for Gandalf, uh, that uh, we're paying him more like by it'll take us ten years. It'll take ten Bobby Bonilla days to equal what we're playing paying Bruce Souter in, in, in next year. And so, it. Uh, I agree with you. It, it's. It, I have to believe this is like overblown because it wasn't until then. And then I looked into it. It was just like, oh my god, Chris. Like we're not going to have Chris Davis Day at some point. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I'd I'd like to know I'd like to know like between Bonilla's days with the Mets and just Chris Davis period end of statement or like you know to be social media savvy like Chris Davis that's the tweet like you know I'd like to know who ends up with the lesser end of this Jim from like a statistical standpoint we, we don't know what Chris Davis is going to turn into yet right Bobby Bonilla day turned into David Wright that's a pretty good deal but I mean that took some time to come to fruition so. The Chris Davis thing's got to get a little more time before we see what it turns out to be. It'll turn, maybe it'll turn out to be like Fernando Tatis the third or something, right? No. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're going I mean, whole generations ahead of this to justify I mean, Chris the, Davis. I mean, if the contract's going to last till 2036 or whatever, I, I don't remember what it is either. I remember seeing Mike Mayer's, uh, uh the post. It, it's it's an incredible thread of all the people that are getting deferred payments and how long they're they're getting paid for it's ridiculous this is yeah so by far not a Mets thing 
So I agree. This was this was this was low hanging fruit. This was my equalizer here because I just I just knew going into this that there's no way <laughs> we were going to let yeah. this one slide. All right. Yeah, I so, think it's more more the name of Bobby Bonilla and yeah. the name of the team yeah. added mm-hmm. together. And mm-hmm. Yeah, kaboom! It's, it's like a mixed mixed drink, of, mixed drink of overbraided yeah. silliness. Yeah, um, I'm married. Uh, Angelina Jolie is married to. Well, I don't even know who she's married to anymore. But right, we're both married. We have something in common, but nobody talks about my marriage. Right, <laughs> it's true. Um, all right, so number four. Right, so Car- that's Bobby Bonilla Day. Car- Carlos uh, Carlos Beltran. The this past season, Carlos Beltran's hiring and then subsequent firing. Is that uh, is that so Mets, or is that as overblown as it gets? I'm going to say it's overblown. I don't say it's as overblown as it gets. In the sake of, for the sake of this game, I'll say that. Spirit um, of the game, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. All yeah. in or nothing. So, so I preface this with saying I don't know the sequence of events in terms of him being hired. Like, did the Mets talk to him about this before they hired him or – even like shortly after, like what I we it's hard to figure out what was discussed and if they made the hiring or if like Major League Baseball may have told him about or told the Mets about the details of what Carlos Beltran did. So that's a little murky still. Um, for the sake of the distraction, and I will say I was totally wrong on this because when I heard about the Astros' involvement. And that Carlos Beltran was like one of the people involved, but they didn't really go into much detail about what he did in particular. I don't remember. Right. Um, I was like, oh, just, you know, just the Mets should come out quickly with some kind of statement saying, hey, we still support Carlos Beltran, yada, yada, yada. Which, which I felt that way and I was a mistake because um, I, can, I could just imagine going to spring training and all the questions. I mean, look at the Astros, all the questions they got. That wouldn't have been that big of a deal, but Carlos Beltran, first managing gig. All they want to talk about is the Astros situation. Um, so to, to get, you know, from all I know, it just turned out to be bad luck. It just mm-hmm. turned out to be unfortunate that they decided to hire Carlos Beltran, which I thought was a fine hire. I would have rather gone for, for Joe Girardi. Um, but was a fine hire. I think he deserved a chance. Um, and it just, so happened that he got involved in the scandal. I mean, no one's talking about, oh gosh, the Red Sox. Look how stupid they are for being involved in this cheating scandal. Now they, I know it's different because they didn't hire a manager that had to fire one, but, but that maybe they are obviously complicit in many ways. I mean, the Astros obviously get their due, and yeah. they deserve it, and they deserve to be punished more than they than they are. But anyway, that, uh, another episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the Mets did what they had to do, and I think it it was in the long term, in the long run, the right thing to do. They had to just cut bait. Um, I would like for Carlos Beltran to maybe like, I don't think I wanted to apologize, but I would love to hear what happened. Yeah, because I'm very confused. Like what? Because it's still don't know a lot of details. I think personally, I think he's still a Hall of Famer. I think he's still going to get in. You know, a lot of it's not. Not, to me, it's not steroids bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's you know, there's some form of cheating, yeah. which is you know, part has been part of the game forever. Doesn't look good, uh, but in the long run, I still think he gets into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he still has the numbers to get in there. But as far as the Mets are concerned, they had to do this. Um, any other team would have been the same. They would have done the same thing. Yeah. So to me, it's not a it's not a Mets. Uh, uh, it's not an event for Mets mockery. Um, it sounds funny that, you know, before opening day, they had, you know, three different managers and, you know, between the last game of the season, opening day, ha ha ha. Um, any team would have, would have done this, um, with the sequence of events, notwithstanding, I think it was overblown. Okay. And with the, and with Beltron, we, you mentioned hall of fame, uh, for both of you, I guess. Um, how do you guys feel about, um, his chances of getting in if he doesn't address this issue? I, I still I still think he I, I still think he gets in. I don't think I think they punish him in the way that they punish Bonds, you know, where they they make him wait, and you know they they drive it down. I think 
I think you're looking, without going down a rabbit hole, you're looking at a much more statistically driven and objective electorate by the time he gets there. So I think ultimately he gets in, but but they they may be not as much uh, not as much fanfare behind it. Brian, yeah, I think I think he gets in eventually. I think he <laughs> does get punished, um, you know, in in the court of public opinion. Uh, I, I would. Like, again, as I said, I would like to hear from him, um, whether it's an apology or it's just an explanation. Um, the fact, you know, we don't know when, how long this went on, but the fact that it happened at the end of his career, um, it didn't, you know, affect the numbers that put you in the Hall of Fame. Uh, as we all know, it's, you know, not the Hall of Morals, it's, you know, the Hall of, how, how, <laughs> Hall of Fame, how you played. It's for damn um, sure. You know, I, I mean, yeah, he did. He did undermine the integrity of the game, uh, and that's a, a mark against him. But um, I think eventually he, he he makes it. Yeah, it feels to me like silence is his best route here, almost just so that it's not a, a, a maybe a banger ding against him, right? I mean, if you feel mm-hmm. like if we all feel like okay, he can still get in because his career was fine. It was just at the end of his career this happened, and then you know the numbers speak for themselves. Then okay, well, if I was Carlos Beltran, I'd probably just sit my lips and wait five years to get on the ballot and then wait the amount of times it takes to get in eventually. So yeah. plead the fifth out of self-interest. Gonna... Yeah, probably. Right. Cause I think that actually discussing it and actually, I mean, upon apology, probably too late for anything else yeah. left now as an explanation and explanation is probably not what he wants to shine a light on. Agreed. Agreed with that. Especially when you're a, a cog in the wheel as big as that. Yeah. And yeah. you're not the center of it. It's, you're not like you're Pete Rose and going rogue on everybody. You're literally like a part of a bigger conspiracy there. So yeah. because um, Beltron, Beltron's gotten away pretty good so far. He got a job, lost a job before he ever even had to do anything about that job. And they kind of just disappeared. Right. While everybody yeah. else is throwing baseballs and going after hitting coaches on the bench. I mean, Mm. Beltron's doing pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Depending depending on how you look at it, I think he's gotten the the lesser of the the evils in terms of outcomes. Yeah. Um, okay, so we did number five. We did talk about this a little bit earlier, but I want to know. I'm going to ask you about the person Johannes Cespedes. Now, could this? And and I want to follow with this very specific question: Could this have been have happened to anyone? Or is it be, is the sequence of events that we saw at least somewhat related to it being the Mets? So, Johannes Cespedes, is that so Met, or is that as overblown as it gets? Uh, well, the I would say the ending is that is that so Met. <laughs> um, I think the other part. I hate to parse your question. Um, <laughs> it's good. It's a weird question. Part, yeah, I think the other part is a little overblown. So I think mm-hmm. overall I would say that's so Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that he got hurt a lot, you know, and I don't know, again, I, I don't know if it has to do with the fact that Mets couldn't keep any of their players healthy. It might be. Um, we talked about this uh, earlier, is that he, he is misunderstood in the sense that, you know, in his exit, people like to just say, oh, good riddance. He did have two parts of two very good seasons. I think 2016, he played the entire year and had a had a very good year. And everyone, uh, every Mets fan, remembers what he did in 2015, leading them to the pennant. So right. for that, uh, you know, we're very you know, I'm very grateful for that, and it was incredibly exciting. Uh, and after 2015, they had a chance to um, he made it was a chance he didn't resign, and he actually took less money to stay with the Mets. So uh, for that, and the fact that he wanted to stay with the Mets was great, and I think the Mets should have done it. Um, the problem was, I think it was after, what was it, 2018 or something like that, um, the Mets re-signed him again, which I thought, then I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> uh, that was that was more of like, oh, that's, that's what that's so Mets, like, okay. Because he was getting hurt, and you kind of could see the fact that he was just, as I called it, as I called it in my uh, uh, Mets All-Time All-Stars book, I called Cespedes, who's an honorable mention outfielder. I called him a walking game of operation because he's just <laughs> every day at something else. Like what's next for this guy? Um, the, the, and then we come to this, the wild boar incident, which I know there's some 
uh, obscurity or some, you know, there's some a slight cover up as to what happened. I can't really remember. Some That's shroud, if you I, will. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the injury itself could have happened to anybody on any team. Mm-hmm. Just some freak incident, you know. And these players are, for the most part, allowed to do whatever they want with their free time. Now, you know, if the Mets have put in a contract, please don't ride a horse. Right. Um, or or have wild boars chasing you. Well, then he violated that. Uh, um, but uh, I put that the injury itself to be a little bit overblown. I think it's just funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I as I talked about the exit, how he left the Mets is a product of Mets deceit and Mets mismanagement. Because if we if we think about the announcement, I was literally I was driving in a car. I was coming back from like a, a beach house or like a, a, a vacation, and I'm like driving. And my girlfriend just tells me, she's looking at her phone. She's like, oh, Yuena um, Cespedes has gone missing. And I just go, and my reaction was, God, this team. <laughs> <laughs> that was my reaction. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And the Mets could have waited a few hours. Now, let's say he did just get up and leave. Um, and they didn't know where he was. They could have waited a couple hours, figured out where he was, and then announced it. Instead, they had to put this out to make it look like something was seriously wrong. Um, when they announced that we don't know where he is, but we have no reason to believe he's in danger. Well, that leads me to believe you know where he is. Right. So that was con- that was confusing when they did that, and it it kind of leads you to believe that there was some kind of deceit, and they they knew what was going on, and they were trying to shame him. Um, as far as he as far as him, I mean, he has been. Uh, you know, he hasn't been aggra- exactly trustworthy. Um, but, you know, and he could have very well just said, oh, I'm not doing well. Or I'm not going to get my incentives. Or I'm just going to leave. Right. Um, you know, any player has the right to do that. Um, and if he did, in fact, not tell the Mets, well, then then he deserves what he gets. And he, you know, right. OK, and he's gone. Uh, as we talked about earlier, I don't know if I fully believe that. I think there is a lot more to the story. And I feel like the Mets. Um, as they've done before, have thrown mud as, uh, on certain players and tried to shame certain players. Uh, I remember when, was it uh, Fred Wilpon, like, you know, criticized David Wright, said he wasn't an elite player in 2011. It's like your franchise, and you're yeah. just saying that. It's just, this is what the owners do. Yeah. And they've done it for ever since it was, you know, the, ever since Fred Wilpon took the majority of the team from Nelson Doubleday in 2000, what, 2002, it's just been the same stumbling over themselves. Um, and you've seen it for almost 20 years. So why am I to think that this is this incident is any different? I could see how, how that would be sort of confusing because I agree with you. Like Cespedes has always been a, a different type of character, but so it's easy to kind of just say, Oh, well, this could have happened to anybody. He would have done this to anyone, you know, if he was with the, you know, the A's or the twins or something, he would have done this too. But, Mm -hmm. but I, I agree with you. Like it it does give you pause when, when it's just so, it reminds me a little bit and I didn't put this on the list, but it reminds me just a little bit of the Matt Harvey, you know, the, when that started to deteriorate where it was just, there was so, it, it was just clearly so objectively, so poorly handled from ownership and and from management mm-hmm. where well it took it took it didn't even take like the best journalists and that's not a knock on any of the journalists that broke the, the stories but it didn't even take like the top level guys to 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 start to sort of disassemble the narrative and just say well wait a second there's there's we don't know what it is but we know there's more to this so mm-hmm. i agree with you on one hand like Cespedes is a different type of character but on the other end yeah, you just you just know there's more to it. So yeah, I mean it's just the way they put it, right? It's like he, he's missing, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we know he's all right, but we don't know where he's at." It's like, right. Okay. Well, after the whole thing plays itself out, you're like, "Okay, now you start to realize that okay, when he went missing, yeah, okay, maybe maybe Cespedes didn't check out properly on his way out. He didn't hit the front desk on his way out or whatever, but uh, you know that the they knew that he left because he'd they probably already talked to him about it. And he was like, Hey, I'm probably going to check out for COVID. Right. Maybe there wasn't an official thing that happened there, but yeah. still they went to try to burn him on it. Right. And then come back with like, Oh wait, no, um, no, we know he's all right. Well, 
what the heck? Man? If it's just a paperwork right. thing, man, like paperwork happens all the time. Just, just, yeah. just own it, man. It's just a paperwork thing. Instead, it's yeah. like you know we got to do this whole song and dance with. And with then they the, curiously trade what a pitching prospect or whatever for Billy Hamilton right before they didn't know where Joanna Cespedes was or something. I don't even know. Whatever. Yeah, it's the mess. Yeah, it's that. That's when I agree with you. I think there's a little bit. There's there's just enough of this of the the mysteriousness to to put this in the that's so Mets bucket. I I really do feel that I way. I mean, how the hell do you be a Mets fan anymore? God, good grief! I'm sorry, man. I don't get it. I mean, I don't have to live. How do you live this world, man? It's bonkers. Just it's it, it. it's you know what, dude? It's spicy. You know, it's not for it's everybody. It, it, it's it's <laughs> it's a spicy lifestyle. It's, it's Very the way acquired I like taste. Yeah. yeah, I have a certain kind of toughness. <laughs> so, all right. So, last one, last one, and this and I picked this one. I picked this one over Matt Harvey. I picked this one, uh, you know, over other ones because this was the first time I had seen. A, a, I was a religious John Stewart Daily Show watcher for for de- since he took it over from for uh, from um, Craig Kilborn back in the nineties, and the when I saw him and I knew that he was a Mets fan, but when he, the Willie Randolph firing when when that bled into the uh, the Daily Show world and officially transcended outside of Major League Baseball. Um, that was one where I was like, whoa, like what is going on here? So, so I got to ask you the, the Willie Randolph firing. And if you could put a, I want, I would like if you could put a little background on it because I only know a snippet of it yeah. is the Willie Randolph firing and the way it was handled. So Mets or overblown as it gets. The way it was handled was so Mets. <laughs> um, so to give some background, uh, the 2007 Mets, led by Willie, Willie Randolph, came in in 2005. Um, 2005, I think they were about a 500 team, or just a little bit better than 500. 2006, they had a fantastic year, 97 wins, win the division easily. Uh, they lose Game Seven of the NLCS. 2007, they're on the track to win the division again. They have a, a seven, seven and a half game lead uh, with 17 to go. And they completely fall apart, lose on the last day of the season to the Marlins. The Phillies win the division. I mean, that collapse put in from there, Willie Randolph was on the hot seat. Whether it was just or not, um, I, you know, I liked Willie Randolph. I mean, I, but at the same time, um, the way the 2008 season began, in which the Mets just really could never get out of the gate, they were just. They were, they were inconsistent. Um, they weren't bad, but they were just not living up to expectations. Um, you knew it was time for some kind of change, and as unfortunate as it was, because I, I wish he had really ran off. I got more time. Um, for the first, you know, couple months of that season, Willie Randolph was just twisting in the wind. I mean, heck, going back to the end of the 2007 season, he was on the hot seat, twisting in the wind. The Mets weren't doing anything uh, about it, management, as far as uh, firing is concerned. Um, in mid June, uh, I think it was like yeah, mid June, they go out on a West Coast trip. Willie Randolph's still the manager. They play the Angels in a you know 7 p.m. West Coast time game. They beat the Angels nine six. I think they may have won it like a couple games in a row. Uh, and after the game at 3:11 a.m., uh, the reason I because I knew it was around 3 a.m. I actually am looking it up. 3:11 a.m. Willie Randolph is fired by Omar Benaya, general manager, and Fred Wolpon and whoever. Um, I, you know, he had so many chances to fire him. <laughs> uh, Willie Randolph had always acted with class. He took it all, you know, with 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 dignity. He was a, a I, I just had a lot of respect for him. Uh, and the fact that the Mets had no respect for him uh, was shameful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just basically you could have fired him before going on the West Coast and just given him the same kind of dignity or at least a sliver of the same kind of dignity he had for you guys. And they didn't do that. And as everything that management does should be prefaced with, it starts at the top. Mm-hmm. Starts with the Wilpons. They don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to drive a one car funeral. 
Um, <laughs> they would screw up everything, and they screwed this up, and you know it has to do with them. I mean, I'm not. I'm pretty sure it wasn't exactly Omar Minaya messing it up. I'm sure it has something to do with Wolfon making the decision, filtering it to Minaya, Minaya going, okay, I'm going to fire him now, and it's 3.11, you know, 3.11 in the morning, and okay, well, you have to go back. You know, you and a few of your coaches have to go back on a red eye. Um, so it's and the fact that they didn't really take any accountability for it afterwards. Right. Um, it's just not something that would happen with with other teams. I mean, I can't think of a time when it happened with another team. Um, so it's it's shameful. It's cowardly. It's just like okay, we're gonna not do this while we're in New York. We're just gonna do this when we're all out in the west. When the team's out in the West Coast, we can kind of. I don't know. They thought that they could escape this. I mean, <laughs> the beat writers go with you. Um, they could just slide it under the radar, like <laughs> yeah, like you, no one's gonna find out. I mean, it was it was 2008. It was you know, the, the internet still existed, right? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just crazy. odd that uh, looking at their schedule, they played a doubleheader the day before in in New York against the Rangers. Won the yeah. last game of the doubleheader. Flew all the way to the West Coast played one game, won it nine to six, and yeah. then three eleven in the morning. Right? I mean, on a in the middle of I mean, not even in the middle, right after the very first game of a six game road trip. Yeah. A week. It's, it's it's one of those things that I think that you know, the Met, it seems as though at times, and, and as we've gone through this game, I, I haven't been keeping score, but I think it's been closer closer than most people probably would have thought if I handed them the questions beforehand, any non-Mets fan. And I, and I think that at times, like you look at a situation like, you know, like you, you've said a couple of times, these were otherwise, otherwise rational decisions, or maybe not rational, but like tough decisions, you know? that mm-hmm. ha- were just so mismanaged that it, it becomes comical. It becomes uh, sort of a, a caricature of, of itself. And, you know, I, and like you've said multiple times, and I will, I, will, I will help drive this home here to end the show, it starts at the top. Yeah, no, exactly. I... Again, they, they do, like, the firing Willie Randolph, you can't criticize that um, as much as, again, as much as I, I liked him and as much as maybe you could have given him another shot. Um, I mean, you could have given him a vote of confidence. It, there was nothing wrong with the decision. No one was like, I can't believe mm-hmm. they just fired him. It was just the way they did it. Um, right. You know, no one, uh, you could have, you want to assess this bolting and, if it's true, saying I'm not playing anymore, um, the Mets, if they had waited or they waited a few hours and announced it like at the end of the game and didn't make this like whole drama filled, like, where is he? Someone find him. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way you, the way you handle something can subside the drama. And then the Mets decide to just, and just, you know, throw a, a flamethrower to it. Yeah, exactly. And let's go the other way. Yeah. yeah. And, and so when, you know, as, as we look forward to the, the next decade of Mets baseball, you know, as, even as a Braves fan, like I really do look forward to the, the, uh, you know, whatever comes next for this organization and, and, you know, I mean, not on the baseball field. I still want you guys to lose. But, I do, you know, I, I want it to be – I would like to see, you know, every organization goes through its tough time. You know what I mean? I don't like to see the caricature, uh, you know. And if anything, like, let Jeter wear that in Miami. Let's let's, let's let him do it. He that, that guy needs to be knocked down a peg or two. But um, – but yeah, Brian, you know, I, I hope that what has ultimately happened here is that our listeners have gotten a little bit of context and a little bit of uh, maybe an appreciation for the for for uh, for what we what we unfairly do to this organization sometimes. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate you uh, not only having me on, but uh, bringing this up because I do think sometimes um, when like I think I thought about this last year when the Mets made the Marcus Stroman trade. Um, people just panned it right away because, uh, you know, their reputation precedes themselves. Like you just automatically go to that. Okay. They must've done, this. they must be complete morons. Um, and as it turned out like, Oh, why are they doing this? I think it's meant for like a, you know, several games out and it turns out they made a run at the wild card. So, um, you can't really fault them for that, but it's easy to just go to that, um, simple, you know, narrative, 
Uh, and sometimes I, I am, I feel like I, that, that people do that because I think at the same time, the Yankees, that, that trade deadline did nothing and they got praised for it. Like if the Mets did nothing, they would get in criticized criticized for that too. So, um, yeah, I think sometimes it's unfair, but then there are times when it's just, it's, it's, it's the Mets being them being what they've always been. And they just have, uh, people who can't handle, um, just even the most basic baseball functions don't spend the proper money. Um, and just make the wrong move. So I I think more often than not, it is the Mets stumbling over their feet. um, And that's what causes people to think that everything that they they decide to do um, that has some kind of, you know, speculation or or, or can be put into question is automatically thought of as, you know, the hashtag LOL Mets. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that gets, sometimes that just happens just too often. It's just an easy route to go. It's lazy. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on, man. We, it was it was great to talk to you, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Yeah, 